from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Changing recovery into rescue. I'm Charles Denny, helping someone trapped in a grain bin. We'll show you how experts train to save lives. That story next on Ag Day. Florida faced two hurricanes and citrus screening. Now, the state citrus industry is battling back. As farmers wonder what's next after a court cancels some registrations of a key weed killer. It's, it's really hard to change those plans. Um, it puts a lot of uh, uncertainty into the upcoming growing season. What's next for dicamba ahead of the planting season this morning on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Questions remain for farmers right now after an Arizona court vacated the registrations of three over-the-top dicamba products. The announcement coming last week, just weeks before planning gets underway. Ag Day's Michelle Rook is continuing to track this story. Michelle, several ag groups are asking the EPA to take emergency action. Yeah, that's right, Clinton. Well, it's still unclear whether the federal district court ruling will take effect immediately, banning over-the-top use of dicamba-intolerant crops. Growers are urging the Environmental Protection Agency to step in to help and provide certainty for them for the 2024 growing season. Several farm groups sent a letter to EPA asking for the administration's support of a court appeal and help in getting a stay of the ruling from taking effect pending that appeal. Under FIFRA or the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide and Rodenticide Act, the EPA administrator has the authority to grant an existing stocks order for products that are canceled. And so this would allow dicamba use this season. You know, that's product that's in the pipeline from the registrants. Um, it may not be delivered to the farm yet or even at the retail or co-op, uh, wherever you, wherever a farmer, a customer picks up that product, it's just somewhere in the supply chain. Um, it's also true that some of this, uh, there, there is dicamba on the farm already uh, that's been delivered um, and that farmers are expecting to be able to use. Uh, so it's through that whole supply chain, wherever those existing stocks would exist. The timing of the dicamba ruling is bad as many farmers have already purchased their seed technology platform and herbicides. This ruling covers Extendamax, Ingenia, and Tavium and appears to cover every state the products are registered in. This could impact up to 50 million acres of soybeans and cotton if the ruling sticks. And Gackle says there are few alternative products available to cover all the acres involved in a nationwide switch. It's, it's really hard to change those plans. Um, and puts a lot of uh, uncertainty into the upcoming growing season. Um, a lot more risk, uh, both both on that crop and your possible production, and of course on the profitability and revenue from that crop. So there's at this stage in the game, there's not a lot of options to change plans. Gackle says there is a precedent for EPA granting emergency orders. Plus, ASA and several cotton associations have submitted an amicus brief to the District Court of Arizona urging the judge to avoid vacature. However, if these options don't work to allow dicamba use, it will be costly for growers. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. One of those farm groups sending a letter to EPA, the American Farm Bureau Federation. President Zippy Duval saying, quote, many farmers have already made planning decisions to use dicamba tolerant crop systems and have planned to use dicamba products in the very near future. 
Now these farmers invested substantial sums in the dicamba resistant seeds in reliance on EPA's prior approval of dicamba on these crops. Now without these products, not only are these substantial investments at risk, but farmers do not know how they will protect their crops, end quote. AFBF asking the agency to issue an existing stock order to ensure dicamba remains available to farmers throughout the growing season. Another court decision impacting pork producers, a federal judge says an exemption in a Massachusetts Farm Animal Act is unconstitutional. Now, Triumph Foods leading a recent challenge against the exemption within the act, also known as Question 3. The exemption allowed pork from federally inspected facilities in the state to be sold on site at plants, bypassing traditional retail locations. But the judge highlighted that for Triumph Foods, an out-of-state processor, to benefit from the exemption, it would need to establish its own federally inspected plant within Massachusetts, which he says violates the Commerce Clause. Now, Triumph Foods expressed satisfaction with the ruling, adding it anticipates further legal challenges to the rest of the law. Question three mandates pork companies in the state comply with sow housing space requirements. Florida's orange production is continuing to bounce back after the state was hit hard by two hurricanes at the start of the citrus season back in 2022. USDA releasing the crop production report saying that the all orange forecast for this season is 2.76 million tons. Now that's down 1% from the previous forecast, but up 11% from last season. For Florida, it's forecasting 19.8 million boxes. That's down 3% from the previous forecast, but up 25% from last season. Something that will certainly have an impact on crop production this year, changing weather patterns. Forecasters now saying that a La Nina weather pattern could emerge in the second half of this year. Now you can see that in blue here. The pattern typically brings increased precipitation to Australia, Southeast Asia, and India, while bringing drier weather to key growing areas here in the U.S. The National Weather Service Climate Prediction Center saying the current El Nino weather pattern in red is likely to give way to neutral conditions sometime between April and June. It says there's a 55% chance of La Nina developing between June and August. It may start to look more like winter again in the Midwest this week. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has a look ahead. Yeah, in fact, uh, we got winter coming back, but the location is a little bit different. And when we say winter, think cold temperatures and snowfall. Uh, check out what we have snowfall estimate going uh, through there this past weekend and into next week. Again, that snow coming down Saturday and Sunday into parts of Texas and Oklahoma, while back up here towards the north for our Monday and into our Tuesday. That system really doesn't grab a lot of moisture and send it north, and it doesn't grab a lot of cold air and send it south. So you get some snow trying to work back here to the east again. Now this is through 7 a.m. on Monday, which has already come down as we go through the next couple of days. I expect uh, less snowfall and uh, more rain with that low pressure system. Go ahead, take a look at your screen here. And good morning to this little one, Red Oak Acres in the Florida Panhandle sharing this picture. They raise meat goats and sheep there, and it looks like the animals have a lot of fun too. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Growing tensions in the Red Sea are already causing issues in the supply chain. Now fertilizer markets are on edge, watching the situation extremely closely. Josh Linville, vice president of fertilizer for Stone X Group, says so far, the fertilizer market has been able to ignore what's happening there in the Middle East. He says some U.S. fertilizer prices are up 50 to $60 per ton, 
but that's not because of war. It's been due to the return of demand since the start of the year. However, Linville believes fertilizer markets are concerned the growing conflict could eventually impact supply and price, and the biggest hit could be on nitrogen. When you look at the U.S., half of our urea imports for every year come from the Middle East region. And we've been watching the Red Sea very closely. Of course, these attacks on vessels have cost a lot of the vessels to decide, I don't want to take the chance. I don't want to put my vessel at risk. I don't want to put my people at risk. So they're opting to take the clauses in there, basically a wartime clause, and go south around Africa. That adds more freight charge to it, of course. But the worst part is, given how close we are to spring, it tacks on another 10 to 15 days worth of sale time to get to the North America marketplace. And when you look at how crunched we are against spring coming, that could be a big, big deal. Now, Linville says there's also worries the conflict could spill over into the Persian Gulf, an area that's a major exporter of urea. He says that part of the world alone exports tens of millions of tons of urea per year. The farmer protests continue in Europe as groups take to the streets in now Spain, Hungary, and Poland. This is what it looked like in Poland on Friday. According to a Polish TV network, a nationwide farmers' protest took place across 250 regions of the country. Farmers there oppose the introduction of the EU Green Deal, the inflow of goods from Ukraine, and point out the decline in production profitability. Meanwhile, it's a similar story in Spain as tractors cut off traffic in a number of regions. In Hungary, hundreds of farmers drove to the border crossing with Ukraine, saying cheap imports from the war-torn region are undermining their own markets. Meanwhile, EU leadership is shelving a plan to restrict pesticides by half. It's seen as a victory for farmers following weeks of protests across the 27-nation bloc. Now, the European Commission did release its roadmap for slashing carbon pollution by 90 percent by the year 2040. But it also took out a section on climate action in the agricultural sector. That section called for a 30 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture compared to 2015 levels. It could take up to a year for the European Parliament to approve the roadmap, but it's likely to set a benchmark for developed nations worldwide. Well, markets closed out the week in search of new direction. Can we find one? Michelle Rook asks the question coming up next in Markets Now. And later, we're off to Tennessee, where a focus on grain bin safety and rescue. Corn and beans struggled to hang on to Thursday's gains to close out the week, while cattle finished mixed. Michelle Rook is back with more in Markets Now. Grains closing mixed on Friday. The cotton market was higher, though. Chuck Shelby with Risk Management Commodities is with us. And... Corn and soybeans lower again on Friday, and really the funds continue to kind of pile on there, but uh, South American weather has been part of the story, hasn't it? Yeah, we saw a flip in Argentina started getting rain. It had been hot and dry. Uh, Brazil had had moisture, and so uh, they're going to dry out in Brazil, and Argentina is going to get wetter. So as we move forward in the longer run, maybe the drying out of Brazil will give uh, the corn market some uh, reasons to maybe pop up here, but... Uh, this Friday, past Friday, the market uh, certainly was under pressure. Part of the reason was a flipping weather pattern was good for the crop in South America. Yeah. And as we start a new week, we're going to be looking ahead to the USDA Ag Outlook Forum. And so is there the potential there to see more pressure, Chuck? Well, I think most that uh, look out there believe USDA is going to uh, show an increasing carryout. They're going to use a trend line yield, which is going to be uh, coupled with probably not reducing acres that much, is going to show a bigger crop at the end of the 24, 25 years that we have today. So 
Uh, that's not a positive thing when we look forward, but has the market anticipated that at the time to sell the meth? That's a big question we can only answer at the end of next week. And of course, Friday, we need new contract lows in the corn market. You know, where do you find the next support here? Uh, you could drop down to 420 March futures, and ultimately, if they want to continue to press it, uh, we could go all the way down to 410. You take out the contract low, do you think, in March soybeans? Uh, that, that I believe we could probably hold here, but uh, certainly if they want to pressure corn or what the USDA might say uh, later on in the week is going to probably be the driving factor that uh, whether or not we can punch on through there or not. We have had a nice rally in the cotton market, though, Chuck. And what's behind that? And can we keep going? Are we bidding for acres or what? USDA showed uh, uh, a smaller crop. And when we look at the big picture going forward, I think uh, cotton may be trying to look for acres. And uh, getting up into the 85 or higher is a, is a positive price, I believe, for producers in the South to look at cotton. Thanks for joining us. That's Chuck Shelby, Risk Management Commodities. We'll have more updates coming up. As we look at the temperature outlook, uh, outlook between Valentine's Day and the 18th, those four days, uh, you can see that uh, temperatures once again uh, trending back above average or just a little bit above average uh, in and across the Midwest, but some sinking cold air up here to the north. An image like this uh, tells you that uh, the pattern isn't all that uniform in the jet stream across the United States. Uh, you got uh, some warm air trying to cut through here, low pressure systems cutting through there, and then cold air trying to sink here while a ridge builds back out here to the west. So basically four different things going on regarding that jet stream, meaning we have more north and south movement with the jet stream, which is going to create some of those storm systems. As for the precipitation outlook, uh, so we're expecting things to stay a little bit drier than normal. Same time period, the 14th through the 18th through the Midwest and back up here to the northeast. And as we just discussed with that low pressure system we had this past weekend and then coming up this week, the track is more of a southerly low pressure system, which is kind of in line with uh, what we get in an El Nino year. Meanwhile, still. A lot of rain in and across parts of the West Coast where they certainly don't need it uh, into Southern California, uh, all the way up into Oregon as well as Washington. So what's going on uh, with that jet stream? So we'll start off on Monday as we go through the rest of your afternoon and into tonight. There's the uh, low pressure system, bit of a cutoff low. As we talked about last week, it's shallow. Uh, these uh, troughs that have been coming through the United States uh, this winter haven't had a lot of teeth to them. So we don't get really strong low pressure systems at the surface, or rather we get these uh, kind of shallow bubbles moving through uh, that create uh, some mixed precipitation, some snow, some rain for some, uh, but, but not all. Now this is jet stream coming up on Wednesday. And as I mentioned, now we're looking at uh, more of a uh, the trough back up here to the northeast Wednesday and into Thursday, a bit of ridging back out here to the west, and then these pieces of energy sliding from the northwest down to the southeast right along uh, this gradient, right along this boundary, uh, including low pressure systems working along the Gulf Coast as well. We'll start off in uh, West Virginia. Now, showers are going to be possible this afternoon, high around 53 degrees. Keene, New Hampshire, partly cloudy, high about 43 degrees. And Glen Ullen, population one. Can you guess the guy's name? Glen Ullen, North Dakota. Winter warmth is keeping equipment auctions hot. Well, Machinery Pete visits a sale in Ohio coming up next. And later, teaching Tennessee farmers and first responders about grain bin safety and rescue in the country. 
Machine to Repeat is on the road this week at an auction in Ohio where a number of sales are catching his eye. Hey, Machine to Repeat here, folks. Kind of a weather report for you from Fayetteville, Ohio, down here covering a beautiful farm retirement auction for Tim and Linda Stegmauer. That 8330 you see rolling away, man, what a beautiful tractor that was. An 07. 1628 hours sold for 194,000 bucks. That was the sixth highest auction price ever on an 8330. And that was Linda Stegbauer's favorite tractor. And let me tell you, you don't want to argue with Linda because she is a three-time women's arm wrestling champion here in Brown County, Ohio. It's so much fun to be here for the Stegbauer's retirement sale. And the tractors uh, uh, sold hot, including the 13 model 8285R, 1225 hours. And that one came in at $226,000. And that's the fourth highest auction price I've ever seen on an 8285R. So for good condition use tractors, the market still strong. All right, thanks, Pete. Well, there are a lot of farmers using equipment to haul grain this winter, which is why it's always a good time to remind people about grain bin safety. We're off to class in Tennessee next. dangerous and from time to time grain bins are where tragic accidents happen. The University of Tennessee's Institute of Agriculture and the Tennessee Association of Rescue Squads are training people how to save someone facing a grain bin incident. Charles Denny has more on turning these events from recovery into rescue. You'll find grain bins on many Tennessee farms but inside these large containers silo accidents where someone is trapped in sinking grain can be fatal. Here, a simulation where a man has thousands of pounds of corn pressing against him and a feeling like quicksand with no way out. And, and it's a matter of seconds, really, from the time you hit the grain and you can be entrapped in a matter of instances or moments. So um, very, very important that our rescue squads and our first responders go through this training. UT Extension was one of the coordinators in this grain entrapment training along with the Tennessee AgriAbility Program and Tennessee Association of Rescue Squads. When someone is trapped in a bin, you can't always pull them out by hand or even rope. Here, rescuers practice with what's called a turtle tube to wrap around the victim and perhaps prevent them from being crushed or suffocating. There's a tremendous amount of weight and a tremendous amount of pressure that's against the, the human body. and. When they put these, these rescue tubes around them, what they're trying to do is build a wall or a coffer dam, if you will, uh, to, to hold that grain back so they can evacuate that grain from around them. Since 2020, more than 500 farmers, UT Extension agents, and rescue workers have completed this training across our state, with thousands more around the southeast. A few weeks back, a Middle Tennessee Fire Department used what they learned to pull a man to safety. November 29th, the Etheridge Volunteer Fire Department in Lawrence County conducted a successful rescue of a producer who'd fallen into a deep pile of grain. They wrapped him in a tube and got him out in two hours. He was not injured. The rescue they had recently, he was up to his neck when they found him. Eileen Legault with Tennessee AgriAbility says this incident emphasizes the importance of doing this training. Most of the rescue squad people that are here today, they're volunteers. They give freely of their time, but they get the training needed so they do rescues and not recoveries. 
Grain bin accidents are likely going to happen, but the goal becomes preventing them from becoming a fatality. And with proper training, a sad situation could be avoided. This is Charles Denny reporting. All right, thanks Charles, and that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great week. Have fun.